0: I'd like to start with a, another poem from the book that we've been referring to, The First Free Women, the new contemporary translation of the Telegata. And this is the poem of Mahapajapati. Mahapajapati, we have, a, we have an image of her up here in the middle. And she was the, the, um, the sister of the Buddha's mother, and uh, both sisters were married to the same man, which was not unusual in those days. And uh, she had her own child, a little bit older than, than uh, Siddhartha Gautama. And uh, it's said that just a few days after the Buddha was born, the little Bodhisattva, he wasn't yet a Buddha, after the little Bodhisattva was born, he his mother died. So they say that seven days after he was born, his mother died. So his aunt, Mahapajapati, took on him as as her own child and and she had milk because she was already nursing her own child so she raised him uh, at her breast from a baby. And uh, and then Mahapajapati uh, later became a, a great leader of the nun's order So it's thanks to her, that's why we always keep her on the shrine and we have it also on our own shrine in the monastery. We pay respects to her every day as our lineage holder, the Buddha and Mahapajapati. Because without her we wouldn't have this opportunity to live as nuns and all the thousands and thousands of women over the centuries would not have had that opportunity. So this is her poem. I know you all I have been your mother, your son, your father, your daughter. You see me now in my final role, kindly grandmother. It's a fine part to go out on. You might have heard how it all began when my sister died and I took her newborn son to raise as my own. People still ask, did you know then what he would become? What can I say? What mother doesn't see a Buddha in her child? He was such a quiet boy. The first time he reached for me. The first time I held him while he slept. How could I not know? To care for all the children. Without exception. As though each was someday... Be the one to show us all the way home. This is the path. So, beautiful poem. So, to care for all the children without exception, as though each would someday be the one to show us all the way home. This is the path. So this is metta, this is boundless metta. This is unconditional love. It's kind of hard to follow that poem actually. It sort of has a completeness to it. Um, But what what I've been reflecting on is... um, you know when a when a mother brings a child into the world of course she hopes that she will see that child grow and 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 come into their f- full life adulthood and and that she will die before the, her child dies so she doesn't have to see that every mother hopes for that and and every mother hopes for the very best. Oh, not every mother, no, some mothers don't. But a, a, but a, but a good mother, a, a, one who's attuned to being a mother, hopes for the very best for her child. Certainly not every mother manages that. And, uh, and yet, the reality is, as we all know, you know, every being who is born goes through a process and and at some point dies each person here in the room every every human being we know every human being every living being on this planet goes through that cycle and the planet itself goes through that cycle that's the nature of things so there's this there's this and I feel that the Buddha's teaching holds these two truths very beautifully together. The, the truth of em- the emptiness of all things. That everything is in a state of flux. That everything that has a beginning goes through a process and then it ends. Everything that comes together breaks apart. Everything, every relationship, it's, it's, that's, the, that's the nature of the world that we live in. And it's what we really don't really want to know. We don't really want to take that in. It's kind of hard because we really want to hold on to these these good things and these good relationships and you know good possibilities. And yet the whole thing is, is tumbling in a way all the time. And uh, and and you know the Buddha speaks about a mother's love for a child and how important that is and he talks about the precepts and how important they are as a means of relating to each other and you know he even lists it's a little bit out of date now some of the ways he writes it out but there's, there are suttas where he, he lists the ways that people need to relate to each other you know husband and wife to each other parent and child um, boss and and uh, employee and you know all of these things. And so he, he he points out that the relationship that we have between each other is a very very important part of life and of the path. It's not other than, it's not like everything's empty therefore that doesn't matter, it's everything is empty and how we relate to this it really matters, it's, it's a paradox, it's a beautiful paradox. And it's like, um, you know, if we know, when we know, that, that, uh, that uh, say for example, a mother has a child and she knows one day that child is going to die. And nobody knows when that will be. It could be in 97 years or it could be in a day or anything in between or even longer. And... Um, so if she if she says oh well it's all hopeless because this child's going to die anyway so what's the point I won't even bother feeding it that would be obviously wrong thinking harmful or if we saw someone you know if we was with with a with a grandparent who's really old or a great grandparent and then we say oh they they're kind of you know they can't do anything anymore they're not productive they're not they're not very coherent they can't, you know, take care of themselves properly, so might as well just, you know, let's just stick them in the forest and let them die because they have no good anymore. That would not be in alignment with the path. So it's, and it, it, it would be wrong. So, unless they've especially requested it, which might be a little different. But... Um, but uh, so the, so the path is asking us to meet this, this transient experience, this constantly changing experience with love and with respect. To bring love and respect into this, this experience of, of ever-changingness, of flux. Knowing that, that everything we cherish will fall apart. Everything. And that is not new. That has always been it has always been that way. this is a an ancient ancient truth. Everything we cherish will fall apart, but that doesn't mean we don't love it in the meantime so we, so there's this this teaching on emptiness and compassion, like two wings of the bird and uh, and we can we can look at the world from those two perspectives um, or from a place in the middle. So when we look from the f- perspective of emptiness, it's, it's very cool. Emptiness is, is, has a coolness to it, and it, it, if we're not careful, it can have a coldness to it, a carelessness. It doesn't, nothing really matters, because it's all empty. So that's, that's unbalanced view. It's seeing part of the truth, but out of context. And if we see only from compassion, our hearts just break over and over and over again. Because look at it—look at how crazy this world is—and that's not new either, as I was saying yesterday. So if we only have a heart of compassion, you know, we just we become a mess. You know, how can we even function? It's just so hard to take in all of this—all of this. Uh, you know the, the greed and the destruction and the, the selfishness and the the wars and the you know the enormously wealthy people and while other people are starving and you take that in, it kind of breaks you. So there's there's this coming together of these realities of yes it's all empty and we need to take care. And we're not trying to make the world perfect. And I'm, I'm quite an idealist. You know, I, I'm one of those people who would love, would love it all to be the true and the good and the beautiful. You know, I would love it like that. And um, definitely when I was young, that was very much my feeling like it should be like that you know and I would always be out in the street even f- even like I think I was 10 I mean I think I was like s- five or s- maybe six when I was on my first demonstration you know it's like the world should be like this you know and this is wrong and, and uh and thinking really believing that that it it should be and, and it's right and therefore if we do if we speak out enough you know people will realize that and they'll change but as I you know Go through life, I realise well, it isn't quite like that. There's because the, people have different motivations, and uh, the right and the good and the true and the beautiful isn't everybody's motivation. So, so accepting that reality, and not and still living in a way as much as possible. it's Not that I'm anywhere near perfect, but as much as possible to keep bringing that into. Into my own heart, into into my life, into my relationships, and like I say, still still work to do. There, not perfect, but it, and, and knowing that uh, it's like a drop in in the ocean, and and uh, if I look at all the big stuff that we see on the news, you know, and, and start to look behind the scenes and see how corrupt, how deep, deeply, deeply corrupt. There's enormous corruption that's been going on for such a long time, so so deeply entrenched and so powerful, they think, well, what's the point then? You know, what's the point of just like having a heart of loving kindness? You know, what? what that's what's that going to do? But in a way that it's the way I see it these days is um, it's, it's almost like we've become entranced, the human race, and you know, the Western worlds or the the more affluent countries. A a kind of spellbound um, in this kind of spell of materialism, and the the odd thing is that we've been in it. You know, we've we've been living it for so long, and it hasn't made us any happier. Actually, you know, maybe a little more comfortable and uh, a little more uh, on a physical level, a little more comfortable, and uh, maybe you know better food, and so things are a little bit more comfortable. But then there's this deep discomfort deep in the heart that knows like oh you know well, I, I've got this but look at everything else that's going on and look at what the cost of this is to these other cultures that are serving this culture and then uh, developing cultures look to the more so called developed cultures I wouldn't say spiritually developed but materially developed cultures and, and of course think like oh wouldn't it be great if, if we could also have that and so there's a sense of, um, you know, it's a progress. It's good to to develop all of these, you know, big big supermarkets and malls and and uh, you know to have material wealth and comfort. So we're we're in this kind of spell in a way where where it's being it's this constant this this materialism is being promised as a as a way to provide happiness. And then those of us, some of us, not everybody's got there, but you know many of us in this culture realise well it, you know it, it gives that momentary happiness. You have that moment of gratification or a few moments, and then then that's gone. And then you look for the next thing, so it doesn't really do it. And uh, you know the Buddha himself came from a very wealthy background, very very privileged wealthy background and and recognise like this isn't it this isn't the source of happiness and chose a, a radically renunciant path um, well in, I think in his day it was it was not as radical as some but it's still compared to his upbringing quite radical uh, because as, as a as a as a in order to support so like to practice renunciation in order to support uh, clarity in developing the qualities, inner qualities that actually bring us that happiness that we're always looking for. And they, they bring them to us in our own being and they bring them into, and it's also like bringing that into relationship with others. Yeah. So c- cultivating these qualities of the Brahma Viharas, we are changing our our minds. We are changing our hearts. We are changing the story here, and and we can st- start to change the story in relation to each other and around us. And it's uh, you know when you really touch into the depth of these qualities, they are very very powerful. Metta is very very powerful. Once you touch into it, karuna, and karuna, you know, is uh, translated as compassion. Um, and then compassion we feel, we think of as having, you know, suffering with another. It Literally means to suffer with another. Compassion, and karuna doesn't really point to that. It's it's more. It's it's, it's got more of an uplift to it actually. Because I think this is part of our problem. is that we, we we take in all of this information on the media, which is completely overwhelming, and then we suffer with, and then we feel like I, I can't even function, you know. And uh, this is not the path to freedom. It, it doesn't it doesn't benefit the world to add to the suffering of the world. It doesn't help anyone by. Being overwhelmed by suffering and not being able to function properly is not that is not the path. So, Karuna is is the wish that all beings are free from harm and any intention to harm. So, this being and all beings free from harm and any intention to harm that's powerful. You know, when you look at what people are doing, if you can hold people in that intention. It, it changes things, even if it's just for you in your own life. I think it does go further than that. So, and, and then in the meditation, too, to if you can find a place where you can really settle and drop in and open up that intention in your own heart, and let it let it grow, let it take space, let it be, let it become powerful. See what that does. It, 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 it empowers you as a, as a spiritual being. And uh, mudita is, is uh, something also very, very important to remember in this time where we can easily look at all the things that are going wrong and how terrible everything is and, and then look at how beautiful everything is too. Look at the, the the amazing majesty of nature, and the, and the the brilliance of the ecosystem. It's stunning. Uh, and and let that be for me. That's like a source of, um, it's like that love and appreciation is makes me want to take care of it. Makes me want to protect it. Makes me want to be sure that you know do my best that uh, it can you know that that we don't destroy what is so extraordinary and, and amazing and precious and beautiful but if i'm only in the oh my goodness it's all a disaster i don't see that so that so at the at the appreciative joy again it gives us strength it gives us gives it gives a certain power and it gives a power to also what is beautiful and good in the world and it can be it can be uh you know, for me, nature is a very, features very prominently, but it's also, obviously, obviously, it can be a, you know, what people are doing, the good, the many, many people, the good that people are doing, which doesn't make the news. There's a lot of it. And uh, there are, there are um, you know, there's, a, there's an artist, um, let's see if I can remember his name now, uh, Chris Jordan, ...who has done a lot of... ...a very... ...he's a photographer... ...and he, his work is... His, he lives in, ...he's from Seattle... ...and his work is, uh, is kind of a statement... ...on human consumerism... ...and nature... ...and uh, his most recent kind of... His ...most recently moved into... ...using the appreciation of the beauty of nature... ...to remind... you know, ...to encourage people to change their ways... ...of, of relating to stuff actually how we use stuff and um, he did one piece quite a number of years ago which was uh, it was just it was like where he just in little single lines that they they were all they would all sort of fill up a page and make a huge mandala of non-profits that were doing good in the world that you just don't hear about it's huge you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So, you know, just like reminding of like there's so much good too. And, and those are the non-profits which are like organizations. And then there's like a a tender moment with a child, you know. How important that is to actually, you know, to listen for a moment. Pay attention to to appreciate. You know, there are these tiny things that are happening all the time that we don't hear about, that are that are part of life, and and the fact that we don't hear about it keeps that spell of materialism strong, because we don't know, we forget that that's where that those jewels are that we seek. It's in those it's in those little moments. And and because we don't hear about it, then we and then we're blasted with all of this information. Like if you have this, then you'll be happy and like that poem, you know, that I said to read earlier on, you know, if you have the right face, you know, the right hair, the right clothes, the right whatever it might be of this time, then you'll be happy. And so there's this constant seat searching for for something outside of ourselves that will make us happy. It's like an addiction. Whereas the Buddha is saying Come back, come back inside, come back to here. Cultivate—it's all here. It's waiting to be realised. The seeds of awakening are right here in your own heart, in your own body and mind. And and nurture those seeds. Take care of them. And uh, you know that's what he did. The world was far from perfect when he was alive. Mass murderers and uh, you know, kings who exploited people and slavery and it wasn't you know, it wasn't a great world when he was alive and uh, he cultivated those he developed those seeds to their you know to become in a way a forest a great powerful forest that we can now gain uh, you know, we, can, we can benefit from so that was just one person 2,600 years ago so you know we, we underestimate our own power actually, it's not our power it's, it's the power, the potential that each of us has we underestimate it and then we ignore it and we keep getting mesmerized by the spell that is uh, over this this land these lands so uh, I deeply want to encourage you to not doubt that to not doubt the importance of taking care of those seeds of finding those seeds within you and nurturing them it's kind of an irony because I was listening recently to um my sister's spiritual teacher, uh, uh, his name's Llewellyn Vaughan Lee, who lives he actually lives in uh, Point Reyes nearby, and he was talking about the, the this spell, you know, how materialism talks about it's all it all it's all very rational and and you know what you see is what you get is all about the the material world and yet it has this kind of enchantment to it that that we become mesmerised by, so it's. it's it's this it, to me. It's very much like Mara, the you know the evil, the, the one who's trying to pull us off track. And it's like it makes it look like this, but really there's this going on. You know, it makes it look nice, but really you know, and for the for the rational mind, it looks like oh yes, this makes sense. You know, you have this and you get that, and it's good. And but but it, but there's this kind of uh, trickery to it, and. Uh, and then this, when when we really deeply touch into the the sacred, the sacred space of of silence, of stillness, of of metta, of any of those brahmaviharas, when we deeply touch into those or into the place of emptiness, and and they overlap in a way. There's a there's a there's a lot of Strong line between metta and emptiness, they kind of one leads to another. Metta can lead to emptiness. When we really deeply touch into that, there's a there's a there's a magic and a power and a sacredness to that that is it's it's huge. It's it's in a way it's like it's 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 our birthright and it's uh, it's waiting for us or not necessarily it's waiting, but the, the the opportunity is waiting for us to reawaken that. And it will directly counter the, the story that we've been mesmerized by. So, uh, you know, I know that people come sometimes, and, and more nowadays, you know, in the old days, when, when we first came here, we used to talk about stuff like this, and, and people didn't really want to hear it. And now... People really want to hear it <laughs> because uh, now people come with a sense of, like, oh my god, you know, what's happening? And the world's falling apart, and America's a mess. And, and uh, so the, the answer is a very, very old one. It's ancient, it's timeless, and it, it's powerful. So I want to read one more poem. And then we're going to go into a meditation. So this is, in a way, this is the the guidance into the meditation, and um, it it leads to it leads to stillness. The poem, but it, you know, in that stillness, you can you can just settle into the stillness, or you can bring in that those those qualities of the heart. You know, you, cho- you choose. This is your time to look in and see what's. What is the best way for me, for each of you, to meet this moment? Yeah. So this is the, the poem of Uttama. Uttama means great woman, or the highest. She was one of the awakened nuns. For years I couldn't sleep. Most nights I'd throw off the covers and take long runs through the dark. Nothing helped. My sisters, when sleepless nights come to tear you into little pieces, rise to meet the day as a tree rises to meet the axe, as a scalp bows to meet the blade, as sparks from a dying fire reach out to meet the darkness. As all of our bones someday fall softly down to meet the earth. When you stand, send your roots down between the stones. When you walk, walk like a skeleton walking to its grave. When you lie down, lie down like a blown out candle being put back in a drawer. When you sit, Sit very, very still. My sisters, sit like you are dead already. How could this world possibly give you what you're looking for when it's so busy falling apart, just like you? Look closely. Don't move until you see it. So we're going to sit for about half an hour now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.